Like many industries over the last two years, the capital markets have been more preoccupied with surviving than thriving. But with light at the end of the tunnel, attentions are once again turning to growth. Capital markets firms coming out of the pandemic, they're looking at where can they grow? How do they best deliver service for their own clients? And they're considering BPAS as an alternative to take over some of the lower level activities, something that has to be done, but there isn't a competitive advantage to doing it yourself. And alongside breaking into emerging markets, technology is proving to be a key factor in financial institutions' post-pandemic plans for success. NASDAQ processes anywhere between 30 to 60 billion records each night for a number of different workloads. And really, it's by leveraging the scale and compute capabilities of the cloud, NASDAQ was able to reduce the time it took to run their billing process down from 40 minutes to four minutes. So the impact of using a cloud is that not only can you process more data, but you can do it more quickly. This is Financial Futures, the podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. In this series, we'll be exploring the opportunities and challenges facing the capital markets and diving into the trends that are reshaping the way institutions operate in this rapidly evolving industry. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. And today, we're exploring the avenues to growth with capital market specialists for Worldwide Financial Services Business Development and Amazon Web Services, Alvin Huang, and Head of Global Managed Services for FIS Capital Markets, Tara Winters. We'll ask which growth opportunities financial institutions within the capital markets are looking to as the world starts to move past the pandemic. We'll discuss how technologies and services such as cloud computing and BPAS are helping institutions to streamline their processes and overcome the inefficiencies of legacy systems. And we'll ask what considerations firms need to take into account before migrating processes from on-premises to the cloud or BPAS partners. But to start us off, Tara and Alvin detail how the priorities for institutions in the capital markets are changing in the wake of COVID. Coming out of the pandemic, um, capital markets firms are looking to achieve sustainable growth. We're seeing a lot of focus on expanding into emerging markets, um, looking to expand into new segments in their existing markets. And sell-side firms are telling us they're also focusing on support for digital assets, which is not surprising at all, and looking to launch new products. Another area of growth is that we've seen a, a significant increase in M&A activity. So a number of capital markets firms are looking to acquire or merge with other companies to help to have a presence in an emerging market, um, to have additional products to take to market, and potentially also to address some of the gaps that they may have found during the pandemic around the need for scale, the need to improve resiliency, and also to expand their digital presence. One thing in common across all of our clients that they all agree on is that agility is absolutely required. With a constant level of change that we're seeing and the need to adjust to new trends, that's going to be very important to capital markets firms. I think you hit on it precisely with that last point, Tara, is, is agility. If you kind of look at the progression of events, you know, prior to the pandemic, most companies have a digital strategy plan and they were executing on that plan, whether it was over the next year, two years, three years, four years or beyond. Now, 
one of the impacts of the pandemic was that it really shifted this conversation from what is our digital strategy to what are our digital capabilities? So things like how do we enable our, cus- our uh, employees to work from home, right? Call centers are a good example. How do you continue to keep that call center up and running when your employees can't go to work? So it's really this accelerated shift to digital. As we come out of this pandemic, hopefully, the conversation now shifts once again to what does true digital transformation look like? And really what we see here are financial institutions leveraging digital transformation, taking all of the different digital channels, whether it's web, mobile, voice, to number one, meet customers where they're at, but then layering analytics on top of that. So going back to the call center example, right? In addition to using something like Amazon Connect, which is a call center service, which allows call center agents to effectively perform their functions from home, what we're seeing now is that customers are leveraging machine learning capabilities like transcribing voice data into text and then running natural language processing on top of that text to extract real-time insights from all that data. And so what are the technologies that will allow for this? We're definitely seeing more usage of AI and ML. I think a couple of years ago, it was more experimental, but they're certainly seeing that embedded in processes and, and actually in applications now. And uh, cloud technologies are going to continue to be absolutely critical to support the digital strategies, to provide agility, um, to support global expansion. Many clients are looking to expand into emerging markets. Many countries have data sovereignty and data regulations in place that require their client data to be stored in the local country or region. And so it's important to have a cloud partner that can support the need for uh, data centers all over the world. Additionally, some of the technologies like AI and ML require massive amounts of data, and you've got to have the scale of the cloud to be able to support those. That's 100% correct. Um, I think scale is a big part of it, right? To run some of the machine learning workloads, these big data analytics workloads, you really need to have the scale of the cloud. Um, And that's really important for many of these uh, analytics workloads, as well as in risk management functions. And what what are some financial institutions using now if they're not using the cloud? They may be um, running on-premise. They may have a number of legacy applications that are running in their own data centers or in private cloud. And so as we talk more about the advantages of the cloud, um, I think you'll see some of there's still application for those types of environments, but there's also a need to leverage public cloud for some of the flexibility and scalability that uh, Alvin was just talking about. So it's modernizing your operations. Right? It's not these on-site, on-premise applications. It's stuff that you can access in real time. So what are the cloud adoption trends in capital markets? Yeah, so if you think about what the cloud is good for, right, it, it's good for uh, scale. And one of the earliest workloads that uh, customers have adopted is really horizontal scalability of the cloud, right? So if you think of you know, some of the risk management workloads like Monte Carlo simulations, um, backtesting of uh, investment strategies, One example here is AQR, right? So AQR, what they needed to do was test training strategies across thousands of securities going back 10, 20, 30 years. And to do that, they need to spin up environments of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of cores to be able to run these backtesting workloads. FINRA is another good example. From kind of a post-trade analytics perspective, FINRA collects data from 3,000 broker dealers across 22 exchanges and runs 
market surveillance on these transactions to look for things like insider trading, front running, spoofing and layering, and many others. And they have to process these using uh, big data capabilities like Spark on EMR to really be able to scale out these calculations. Tara, any other trends you want to weigh in on? Yes, absolutely. So th- those were great examples, Alvin. And, and I'd like to expand a little bit on your comment around risk management. Uh, so we run a number of risk management solutions, and, and it's a great solution to run in the cloud because of that horizontal scaling requirement. So in those um, solutions, generally uh, throughout the year, there's a, a business as usual level of capacity that's required on a daily basis. But at period end, usually month, quarter, year end, there's the need to run those very complex calculations and there are massive amounts of data coming into this, massive amounts of data going out of the applications. So clients need the ability to scale to additional cores just for a period of time, maybe a week or two at the end of the period, and then scale back down um, to their original um, BAU capacity. And the cloud enables them to scale and also to only pay for that additional capacity while they're using it. Um, So we have a a client in risk management. um, They scale up to 40,000 or more cores a month to run their month-end processing. And uh, that would be pretty difficult to do in a traditional data center. So risk management, I think, is a great example of, of a way to use scaling in the cloud. So I can see, though, where the word cloud would cause a lot of angst in both financial institutions and the clients they serve. Can you talk a little bit about the different types of clouds? There's public, there's private. I mean, there's not just one cloud. You're exactly right. There's not just one kind of cloud. And I think we find that most of our clients have a hybrid environment. So they want to use public cloud when they need flexibility, scalability, they're looking to lower costs, they're looking to improve resiliency. But many clients are still concerned about security because it's a shared environment and also because they lose control because they're not running that environment themselves. So then on the private cloud um, space, they're looking maybe to host their applications that have more data sensitivity. Um, They've got a need for maybe customization and they wanna have more control over the environment. And then this hybrid cloud is just a combination of having some public cloud, private cloud, on-premise that's being used. And so you can kind of get the best of all worlds in that situation, the flexibility and scalability of public cloud, the ability to address data sovereignty challenges, um, in the private cloud, the ability to leverage existing infrastructure and continuing to have control and, and security around those applications. Um, But the challenge around hybrid is that it becomes much more complex to manage and you you need resources that have knowledge around all the different environments. Um, And it's also important for firms to take a look at their security strategies, their business continuity planning, all of that to incorporate all these different environments and their different needs. The cloud is changing um, all the time and it it changes very rapidly. So that's different than an on-premise environment where the changes can be very carefully managed and planned. And I like to generally when we talk about this topic is to, you know, bring in kind of two customers that come to mind. I mentioned FINRA before, and, and they're kind of a, a really good case study because they started their cloud journey back in 2013. And one of the things that they looked at very closely was, you know, their on-prem environment at the time versus the public cloud. And based on that assessment, they realized that the public cloud, the AWS environment was no less secure than what they had on-premises. And based on that determination, they made the 
decision to move all in on the cloud. They moved their core assets, their market surveillance platform onto AWS. Now, the interesting thing here is about a year later in 2016, they took another look and they actually realized that the AWS environment is actually more secure than what they had on premises. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Some things that they could do on AWS that they couldn't do in their on-prem environment was things like encrypting their data both at rest and in transit. That was something that they couldn't do. Another one is micro-segmentation, right? Limiting the blast radius if something went wrong. It was cost prohibitive to do within their on-prem environment. Whether working with a public, private, or hybrid model, the cloud offers institutions the speed and computing power to take on the most intensive tasks. It also provides practically limitless scaling power to grow alongside firms. And it gives both institutions and clients peace of mind thanks to the sophisticated security measures it allows for. These alone would be enough reason for organizations to start moving on-premises legacy solutions to the cloud. So how do firms start that migration? And which functions are best suited to the cloud? A cloud migration is not an overnight process, right? Um, even customers that are all in on the cloud, like FINRA, like Capital One, it's a multi-year process uh, for them to do that full migration. There's a no number of different considerations. You know, when you're migrating to the cloud, you consider things like lift and shift, which is simply taking the application you have on-prem and then just running that application as is in the cloud. Now, you do gain some benefits from doing that, but there are additional benefits that you can gain from potentially refactoring or modernizing that applications using cloud native services, right? So that's certainly one factor that you want to consider when you're moving applications to the cloud. Other considerations are things like resiliency, right? Looking at the RTO, RPO characteristics, right? How do you want to architect your applications on the cloud? And again, within AWS, we do have programs, things like using the well-architected review to help with making sure that your applications are resilient and they're operationally efficient and, and they're secure. I'll jump in and, and add a little bit there. I completely agree with, with what you were saying, Alvin. So the legacy applications, you know, were not designed with the cloud in mind because they were coming out before there was a, a cloud capability like we know today. And so as you look to move those legacy applications to the cloud, they may not perform very well. It may cost more than expected. And so working with a partner like AWS or FIS can help to identify better ways to run in the cloud and to streamline even a lift and shift. But to Alvin's point, really to take advantage of everything the cloud has to offer, um, it's important to look at a modernization strategy. And it's something we're, we're certainly on a journey around a number of our solutions that we provide to um, the capital markets to really be able to leverage some of the cloud native technologies that ultimately will drive down cost and give greater functionality, flexibility, uh, resiliency to our clients in, in the long term. And the cloud providers have a number of tools that are built in that might require a lot of work to add into another environment or to take advantage of. But because they're pre-built into the cloud, they're readily available to be used. And so there are just so many positives around leveraging um, the cloud and all the capabilities. But having a modernized technology is, is really important to take full advantage of cloud. 
Can you tell me which functions can be migrated fairly easily? I mentioned the risk management before. It really was the first um, application that we took to cloud. And we did that about eight years ago or so, and uh, it was absolutely a lift and shift. But because of the horizontal scaling requirements, it was necessary. It just it wasn't uh, cost effective to run in a traditional data center or a traditional private cloud environment. It really needed all that scalability. So it wasn't difficult to move it to the cloud, but we're modernizing now to be able to take better advantage of of everything the cloud has to offer. And I was going to say, Aaron, um, the way that customers have generally looked at it is, what are the problems? that the cloud can solve really well. Like if you're developing a mobile application and you're expecting a lot of traffic to that uh, mobile application, that's a good one to move to the cloud, right? The risk management workloads that Tara was talking about, those are great to move to the cloud. I'm working with a customer right now that wants to move their quantitative analytics dev environment to the cloud, right? Because they're taking a lot of data and running a lot of the high compute, large-scale analytics, machine learning type workloads. Those are great to, to move to the cloud. So really, you know, the way to approach it is look at areas where the cloud can help you solve problems, where it can help you become more agile, more elastic, more scalable. And those would be prime candidates to move to the cloud. Well, and in talking about moving to the cloud, I want to circle back a little bit to talking about the emerging markets. Are some of these markets finding success because they can start from scratch with some of these cloud native solutions? Absolutely. Right. If you look at some of the emerging markets, I think you'll see some of the most innovative approaches that some of these uh, customers are taking. So I'm going to venture a little bit outside of capital markets. But if you look in the, say, the lending space, the use of computer vision to streamline customer onboarding, right? Using computer vision, using OCR, using a number of of these AI ML capabilities to uh, streamline the customer onboarding and that KYC process. We're seeing firms like WeLend and Credit Video leveraging those capabilities to improve customer experiences. Also the use of alternative data sets. If you look at customers like Affirm, right? Being able to leverage alternative data sets as well as machine learning to better predict and better assess the credit worthiness of their customers. Yeah, I would add that in the emerging markets with new entrants coming um, online, they can get uh, to market much more rapidly because they can leverage the cloud and applications in the cloud versus setting up a data center, setting up all of the teams that are required to support applications. Um, And then, as I was mentioning before, with the data sovereignty and data privacy regulations, it's so important to have local data center support. Um, One thing I didn't mention that that uh, is another advantage is the latency. You know, if you're connecting from, you know, somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa into U.S., then that might have some latency challenges. But if there's a local data center, then um, you can eliminate those. So there are a lot of advantages that um, emerging markets and startups in those markets can take advantage of. So let's shift a little bit from cloud into another acronym. This industry loves acronyms. (laughs) I've learned so many ASAP. Let's talk a little bit about another technology that will allow for this modernization is the BPAAS. BPAS, um, it stands for Business Process as a Service. And and it's really where a, a trusted partner would take over running an operation on a client behalf for either all or part of a business function in a department or division. 
the um, BPAS provider takes over using the applications, the tools, the processes, and delivers the client an outcome, a set of reports or, or a business um, solution, depending on the type of application that's underpinning it. And as we see uh, companies, capital markets firms coming out of the pandemic, they're really looking to focus on their core businesses. They're looking at where can they grow? How do they best deliver service for their own clients? And they're considering BPAS as an alternative to take over some of the lower level activities, you know, something that has to be done, like regulatory reporting, for example, but there isn't a competitive advantage to doing it yourself. The service is um, governed by service level agreements. So there's a guarantee around turnaround time, availability and quality. And generally these are multi-year arrangements and they're generally paid for like the cloud on an OPEX basis. Another challenge we've seen coming out of the pandemic is there's a lot of pressure on CapEx budgets. So it's really attractive to a lot of firms to move to more of an OPEX model and the cloud and BPAS both provide that capability. One of the biggest benefits of this BPAS model is that it provides a number of the benefits that that you see with cloud, right? Whether it's uh, the scale, the flexibility, and also the consumption-based pricing. Look, offloading some of these um, processes, right, is is really you want to remove kind of that undifferentiated heavy lifting that we call within this industry. So take something like even um, KYC. Right. If you're able to leverage the technology behind it, leverage the, the scale of the cloud, and then really kind of provide a service where your consumer can just hit an API and like Tara said, get that response back so you're not doing any of that heavy lifting uh, so you can focus on your core business drivers, that's really the value of the cloud and of BPaaS. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, another benefit is really the agility. And as capital market firms are looking to expand geographies or, or bring new products to market, a BPAS provider will provide scale and they'll have readily available teams, applications, processes, tools that can enable them to get a client up and running with a new product or into a new geography relatively quickly and easily. Also, BPAS firms are very focused around continuous process improvement, so they look to leverage automation tools and AI and ML to continue to drive down cost. Um, Certainly one of the things that uh, a client would be looking for is a way to lower operational cost in addition to the agility that they're looking to attain. So that lower operational cost gives more capability for firms to invest in other parts of their business or look at innovative ways to deliver new services to their own clients. Um, So there are many advantages to looking at BPAS. And then I think one of the other things we're seeing is regulators and capital markets firms themselves continue to be concerned about cyber attacks and the continued work from home is concerning from that perspective. A lot of firms didn't have um, full business continuity planning and security strategies that would incorporate a work from home strategy. So leveraging a BPAS partner can take away some of that risk because the BPAS um, provider will have already sorted through their own continuity plans and their ability to work remotely and have security and process already set up around those. It sounds like it just streamlines everything and makes everything really efficient. So as you said, you can focus on your your core operations or you can focus on um, being the visionary instead of kind of getting down in the weeds. Absolutely. So 
I was just going to um, highlight a couple of other things that BPAS can help with that might not be quite as apparent as, as the operational savings and the ability to focus on uh, core businesses. But there's also an elimination of the need to manage the underlying application and ecosystem. And so a lot of energy is put into uh, acquiring software applications, building out the ecosystem, running it, scanning, patching, upgrading, all of those things, the care and feeding of, of multiple applications that underpin uh, a BPaaS service. And so moving to BPaaS eliminates the need to do all of those things. And, and again, enables firms to focus on higher value um, activities. Another area is that you know, you've got a built-in knowledge base with, with teams of people that have expertise and track record around delivering these services. And so it can help to eliminate key person risk. That's been a huge um, concern from firms over the time period around the pandemic. You know, what if someone's ill or they're not available or they leave and you've got maybe a handful of people that know some of the specific processes? Um, leveraging a BPAS firm can really help to alleviate that because you're no longer dependent on a small group of people. You've got a broader base to, uh, to work with. So it definitely increases the flexibility and I guess you would say the agility of the company. And as we know, in this industry, change is hard. People tend to be afraid of change and risk. So for institutions that might be apprehensive about utilizing BPAS, what are some of those concerns? Well, as you pointed out, um, change is one of the biggest. Moving to a, a BPAS type of, of a service is really a strategic decision for a firm to make about outsourcing part of their business to a trusted partner. There's going to be um, cultural shift. There's going to be concern from the employees. So um, there's also concern around a risk of a data breach, um, the loss of control. You have a, a third party that's running part of your operation. You definitely are giving up control to that third party. And so there are concerns um, there. And, and then I think a final um, concern might be around the fact that BPAS firms work at scale. And so there's less opportunity to customize processes as a result. Utilizing BPAS partners can help firms to improve their agility and flexibility as it allows them to quickly offer new services by outsourcing processes to third parties. BPAS also gives institutions a level of security as key procedures are managed by an outside organization rather than a small group on premises, eliminating dependence on key individuals for certain deliverables. But the idea of outsourcing any task, even with all these benefits, can be a daunting one. So what words of advice does Tara have for firms considering BPAS? I think the most important thing is to select the right partner. You really do need a trusted partner that's got a proven track record of delivering these kinds of services. Um, you need to ensure that they have the adequate security measures, the business continuity plans that are required, and they need to be really knowledgeable about the underlying application as well as the specific domain that they're servicing. I think that can really, if you've got a good partnership and you um, have a, a firm that our BPAS provider that is able to support that function for you, it, it can alleviate a lot of the concerns. So that's really the single most important um, factor in, in having a successful BPAS capability. And what about, let's say uh, I'm a firm, I decide to use this service. What are some benefits for both the buy side and the sell side? 
certainly they're going to be looking to lower cost. There's an advantage in the agility that we were talking about before so that there's a, a ready team that's already in place with the technology that's required and the processes that are needed so that they can launch new services, launch new products, go into a new market very easily. So that agility and speed to market is really important. Um, some of the other things we talked about before were around eliminating key person risk and eliminating the need to maintain all of these underpinnings of the service. And so they don't have to run all those applications themselves. Um, so there are, there are many, many benefits to moving to BPAS. And, and as I said before, it's really most popular with the non-competitive types of activities. And uh, buy-side firms tell us that they want to outsource middle and back office activities. And sell-side firms are looking to outsource middle office as well as compliance management. Those are the key areas. And how does the cloud tie in with all of this? How does the cloud help deliver BPAS operations? One of the key areas of, of delivering BPAS is to have the appropriate technology and being able to leverage flexibility, scalability, and lower cost of ownership to be able to deliver services at a competitive price. Clients are absolutely going to be looking for a price value for BPAS services. So an underpinning for BPAS would be a, a more modern technology running in the cloud to provide those types of, of advantages. One area I'll add is, you know, from the machine learning side, we've gotten fairly advanced where we have services that are built, trained, they're optimized by Amazon. So from an end user perspective or from a developer perspective, you don't need to have any machine learning knowledge or expertise. You can just use some of these AI services as API calls and then really build that and stream um, into your existing workflows. So it streamlines that process. And I think that allows people to move much more quickly. Instead of having to spend six, nine, 12 months of development time, they can just leverage some of these services and be able to uh, get to market much more quickly and, and provide a value add to the industry. So what's next for cloud and BPass? Tell me the future, please. <laughs> well, I believe that we're gonna just continue to see uh, movement to the cloud. I think that everything is going to move to the cloud. You know, we, we talked about the specific types of applications that can take best advantage, but really we're seeing demand globally for cloud across the board. And I'm just a, a huge proponent of, you know, looking at, at um, cloud services, especially for our, our global clients and our clients that have operations in other areas of the world. And on the BPaaS side, as I mentioned, I think that, you know, we're going to see more and more movement to BPaaS. I think that the pandemic and, and the focus that's required on core businesses and, and the search for growth and moving to more digital capabilities is going to become more important than running some of the must-have back office types of activities. So I just think we're going to continue to see both of these areas grow in a big way. Yeah. And, and Aaron, we talked a little bit before about, you know, some of the trends within the capital market space, right? We see already risk analytics workloads running in the cloud. We see post-trade, reg reporting, you know, market surveillance running in the cloud. We see machine learning workloads running in the cloud. I think the two other areas I'll point out here as far as the future is more and more now we're also seeing market real-time market data in the cloud, right? You see, you know, Bloomberg and NASDAQ and many others offering real-time market data in the cloud. And one example here is when you think about the connectivity, uh, so from an end consumer perspective, if you look at a bank like BBVA, 
right? So BBVA consumes real-time Bloomberg BPI market data today using something called AWS Private Link that you can think of as a cloud-to-cloud cross-connect. And they bring this data in real-time for managing equity risk. So I think more and more you're going to see the movement to people consuming market data directly over the cloud to power a lot of the analytics workloads that we talked about earlier. And then lastly, kind of the natural progression is really the movement of trading systems into the cloud, right? Uh, Again, if you're bringing real-time market data in, powering all of your analytics, kind of a a natural progression that you're going to see is going to be the movement of trading systems to the cloud. You just reminded me, as you were talking, Alvin, um, you know, the other area that's just going to continue to happen is the cyber attacks. You know, they're not going away. The cyber criminals are becoming much more sophisticated. So it goes back to security and making sure that you've got the right partner um, to deliver a secure environment. Tara, you already hit on something um, that I asked in your predicting, you know, where this is going. And you had said you you see a day when there will be all cloud services. Everything will be digital. I'm just curious, do you have a, a timeline in mind? I did a session at our client conference, um, the Emerald set, um, conference that we had earlier in the year and said everything will be in the cloud by 2030. So I'm sticking with that. Alvin Huang is Capital Market Specialist for Worldwide Financial Services Business Development at Amazon Web Services. And Tara Winters is Head of Global Managed Services for FIS Capital Markets. That's it for today's show. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time as we take a look at artificial intelligence and some of the other innovations that are evolving the capital markets.